Welcome everybody to episode 36 of the Never Watchers podcast. My name is Pete, I am one of your co-hosts and I am joined once again and as always by the Never Watcher himself, Mr. Kurt Lewin. Hi Pete. How you doing buddy? Yeah, I'm doing good, thank you. Good. It's still very, very warm here in the UK, so yeah, another swelter. It's not quite as bad as the last recording we did though, was it? No. No. So... <laughs> So, uh, in this episode, we're going to cover the very last two episodes of Loki uh, Season 1. So, we uh, we shall continue with our analysis of it, and we will uh, give this a big old rating at the end of this episode, because we're coming to the end of the series. So, uh, shall we just dive straight into Episode 5? Yeah, let's go. Excellent. So... Uh, run through the quick, uh, quickly the cast list. Uh, so Tom Hiddleston as Loki, Sophia Di Martino as Sylvie, um, Gugu and Buffer Raw as Ravona Renslayer, uh, uh, Owen Wilson as Mobius, Richard E. Grant as Classic Loki, uh, Mi Musaku as B Hunter B fifteen, and Jack Ville as Kid Loki. This was written by Tom Kaufman and directed by Kate Heron. Um, do you want a couple of pieces of trivia before we continue? Yep. Okay, so Kid Loki is seen drinking a carton of High C Ecto Cooler, a drink that was first sold in 1989 to promote Ghostbusters 2 and the animated series Real Ghostbusters in 86. Additionally, the truck's license plate is GRNW1D. This refers to Mark Gruenwald, who is the co creator of Alioth and the physical basis of the character Mobius. Yeah, I did like, even though I didn't notice that. Um, the- what the carton was and its significance i did mm. i did find it amusing that he was drink drinking a, a carton of juice rather than the uh i think the others were drinking like cans weren't they beer yeah probably it wouldn't surprise me if it was supposed to be some sort of beer or yeah. some sort of alcoholic drink they were drinking out of cans but yeah because it's kid loki can't encourage out underage drinking mm. so um, right, so that's that'll do us for the trivia and the cast for episode five, which is called Journey into Mystery. So, shall we run through the plot? Yep. Um, well, shall we quickly just go what my, what our initial thoughts are? Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, shall I go first? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, episode five is probably one of the strongest episodes in the whole series, I think. Okay, this is going um, to be an interesting discussion. Because uh, you probably think it's one of the most boring. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nice to know that we're on different sides of the scale here. Um, <laughs> for me, what I really liked about this episode is obviously that the mystery is starting to really unravel. Um, the fact that we've obviously got this this mysterious world that's been sort of kept under wraps for the vast majority of the show. Um, because obviously when you when you see characters that have been... Um, I don't know for the want of a better word attacked with this weird stick that they have I can't remember what they call it um, but you think they die or they're just blipped out of existence but actually they go to this place at the end of the universe basically that's where all the variants get put and I think that's a really cool idea right okay um, yeah <laughs> uh, so uh, okay, I wouldn't say that I thought it was the most boring episode, mm-hmm. um, but it's the one that I have most, or equally most problems with, alongside okay. the next episode. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, admittedly, I'm not going to say it's without without flaws. Well, the, the, the thing you like about it is what I think is a major flaw. Okay, go for it. Um, so, yeah, you said th this thing about how the... Um, when they get hit by this stick that you refer to and mm -hmm. they get they get taken to the void which as you say is this place between the TVA and the end of time mm -hmm. um, I just don't I don't like that as a concept because I don't see the point of it why would you um, why would you kill someone well in the real world or the, in the TVA for example yeah um, to then get killed again um, why, why are you giving them this opportunity um, to... um, okay. right, what's the I do point of it yeah I do see where you're coming from this one and I admit that it's probably a little bit of a problem but I think it might be one of those situations where it is um, for want of a better thought really out of sight out of mind you know they're out of the TVA, so it's therefore out of their out of their hands, and therefore no longer their problem. Yeah, but the but. the timekeepers created the TVA, mm -hmm. so I I assume is also created this void. Yep. Why has he created this middle ground? Um, because the the what that that creature? Um, let me remember the Eliath. Oh yes. Um, the purpose of that is to kill the pe the variants that get sent there. Mm -hmm. Um. So what's the why not just when you created the TVA, you just create the circumstances that if someone gets killed there, um, they're dead. They're dead. Yeah. Why why are you sending them to then get killed again? Um. And also have the possibility of surviving. Um. In the this void. Now, there must be a reason behind it. I think there is... I do think there is definitely an explanation that's given within episode 6, but it's probably not the greatest explanation of all time. Um, I, I see where you're coming from on this one. It does sort... It does really... Whilst it is a cool concept and a cool idea for me, it kind of doesn't really make a lot of sense in that respect. Like, why wouldn't you just kill them? Why yeah. wouldn't you just blip them out of the timeline rather than just sending us to this other place where where obviously we see it across the entirety of the episode there are variants that have still existed or still survived there for many years yeah and could it could it be a lack like could it be the whole um you know they they're, they're still clinging on to some shred of humanity by not killing them but you know letting some other otherworldly entity do the job for them i don't know it is a bit of now that I've really thought about it, I don't, I'm not sure I'm really enjoying this as much after explaining it. <laughs> and because I, I like, I like the idea of um, like purgatory. Um, yeah. And other films of and TV shows have explored that, but mm -hmm. um, in this circumstance, I wouldn't say that it is a purgatory situation. Hmm. Okay. But it is kind of similar in that you're between two. Um, states, so to speak. Yeah, would you say that it's more rather than a purgatory, it's more of a limbo state? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of peril there. I mean, if you remember the game Limbo itself, you, you mm. get this weird area, obviously, that's filled with so many dangers. It could be something akin to that. 
but mm. I I don't know. Like I said, I think as we're explaining this more, I'm enjoying the concept less and less. <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand. I like I said, I do completely understand where you're coming from on this one. It is a little. It, it might be a bit of a plot hole in that respect that they just don't just blip them out of existence because what we do see throughout this episode that several key players that you think have obviously gone come back yeah and that it just causes commotion to be honest but let's go into it in full shall we so i think it was the the end of episode four wasn't it that we had the end credits the first end credit sequence within the show that showed all the variant Lokis, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's basically where we pick up from, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Okay. Wait, there's four of them, because then later in this episode, there's, like, another whole gang of them that turn up. There is, yeah. So, shall we... So, we're explained. So, there's uh, 616 Loki, which is our Loki, let's say. You've got, like I said, classic Loki, kid Loki, and then alligator loki yeah there's another one as well the how many did you just mention there kid. Uh, classic kid and um alligator yeah there is a the four. other guy yeah um which i said was 616 he, he... loki oh right i thought you were saying he was our loki that's what i said our loki is 616 loki sorry yeah, I, I don't a... when you so uh, sorry so if you talk talk about the um there's so the marvel continuity basically the the universe in which uh, this is especially prevalent during the comics is that the the universe that we're focused on mostly is universe 616 yeah that's just how they know it so i'm just going to refer to our loki as 616 loki for the time being yeah i'm saying there's also another loki yeah, there is, but I cannot remember for the life of me who it is. Oh, right, yeah. Um, so. When I remember his name. Oh, here here we go. Um, yeah, classic. Is it President? No, because he's the one that turns up later on. Yes. Um, there is quite a few that turn up throughout this episode, at least. So, uh, right. Yeah. Boastful, that's him. Ah, yes. No, he's... Or is it? Or is he the classic? Right. There's the guy who's played by Richard E. Grant. Who is yep. that? That's classic Loki. So that's classic Loki. Yeah. You've then, then got Kid those, Loki. Yeah, Kid Loki. Who's holding alligator Loki, and then you've got a guy with with what looks like a Mjolnir hammer. Yeah, and he's boastful Loki, according yeah. to this article. Yeah, so now he didn't turn up that much, like as much in the episode, so he doesn't actually appear on the cast list, which is a bit strange. But he's played by Diopia Operai. Okay, oh, well, I must have missed that in my in my checking of the for the document this morning. Yeah, uh, he, he does. He so. do, does still walk around with them. He the does, second. yeah, but it's uh, that's yeah, what it I mean. It's just much, a bit strange yeah. that he doesn't have much to do. So maybe it was a. An uncredited, or it could have just been like a uh, not well-known actor as much. I don't know anyway, but let's move on because we yeah. spent a bit too much time <laughs> trying to work that one out. Mm. So yeah, it it um, yeah, Loki has been pruned in the previous episode, and he meets oh up. yeah, that's it. They call it pruning. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and he's met up with all these four other Lokis. 
Um, mm. They tell him that um, about the um, Eliath, um, mm. which is like the big Goliath cloud. That's um, its aim it's is essentially... to yeah, just to devour anything in its path that in yeah, so leave behind. any variant. Yeah, any variant that comes through um, through there that, call, that manages to catch its attention will get destroyed. Yeah. So and the... this group of Lokis has essentially sort of managed to navigate their way through this area for many years. Yeah, just surviving, basically. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's what they give Loki, our Loki, the, the option of doing, just joining them and surviving but Loki wants to get out of this situation and hatches a plan to take down the um, Eliath yeah um, so he, he's warned against it by obviously all the other Lokis because they they've been there for many many years and basically stated that no matter what you do you're going to lose like you, there's no way you can beat it the only way that you can sort of not beat it but you know get past it is to just keep a low profile and hide yeah which is essentially what they've been doing for years yeah because that this is a scene where they're in the underground bunker uh -hmm. loki tells them his intention and they all basically laugh him out of the room um yeah and they set off sorry he sets off um on his own to do the job himself and that's when he opens the top of the bunker to find this whole gang of Lokis. Now, this yeah, is a... This a, is a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah. Um, apparently, these this lot have appeared in teaser footage before. They did, yeah. They yeah. were in one of the trailers, I'm sure. Right. Um, so, I think it was only Classic and Kid Loki that you possibly didn't see in that trailer. Right. Don't hold but, me to that though. It's that that especially goes for the audience. But I found this overall this bit confusing. But I was already stretching at the fact that there was four Lokis or five, mm-hmm. um, and then there was this whole other load of Lokis that turn up yep. in this void. Why is there no other type of variant other than a Loki, or is a variant only ever going to be a Loki? Because I was under the impression that variants could take any kind of form and person. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I thought it could. You know, it seems to be, and this is a little bit of a strange uh, instance. Apart from obviously alligator Loki. There's only one other variation of the variant Loki, which is obviously Sylvie. And obviously she's female. The rest of them are all male, which sort of, to me, doesn't really make a lot of sense when you say that they can take any form, you know? Well, and, and not, I, well, the, the, I don't, the bit I'm finding confusing is why have they all got to be Loki? And, what, female or animal or whatever... What, yeah, like, why well, isn't there like a Thor variant or Ant-Man variant or some nondescript MPC um, from the Avengers in New yeah, York City? Completely get that. Yeah, I think I'm, I think the only thing that I can suggest that might make any sort of sense to this is that um, obviously being the um, god of mischief, 
clearly the only one that's mischievous enough to actually survive the void. I don't know. I'm just clutching at straws here. Because mm. they don't... I, I think you're right. They don't particularly explain this very well. Yeah. And I think this ties into what I'll say at the end um, of the whole... in my summary of the whole show. Okay. I found that there's too much confusing and not enough explaining. I... I will have to agree with you for the most part there. I do think that they sort of yada yada over quite a lot of stuff and some of that might have been time constraints related. Some of it could have been as a result of an underdeveloped script or script or um, uh, underdeveloped narrative. Yeah. But I do think it's one of the biggest missteps of the entire show that there is quite a lot of instances that aren't explained very well. Yeah, I think this is probably one of the most egregious moments of it. Because I thought in like episodes two, three, and even four, it we were getting somewhere with regards to there was it it was starting to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I felt with towards yeah maybe episode four as well, um, and then five and six, um, yeah, it kind of lost its way. I agree. In terms yeah, of I... making sense i i think i agree they they like you said they started coming up with an idea and they started start fleshing them out and started giving the audience a lot more of an explanation of what was going on and that's what we said in the previous episode is what we started to like about it mm. and then it's literally gone back to episodes one and two where it is like introducing these high concepts but no explanation regarding it despite the fact that we're coming to the end of the season it's a little bit strange to do that because you would think around that at this time rather than you know if they're going to have four episodes steeped in mystery it's the last two episodes that will start to answer all the questions unless you're lost of course um but then you know they answer the question most of the questions in four they left they have one question left unanswered which is obviously the void and what happens to mobius and loki and yet they introduce a couple more concepts that just don't get explained very well until mostly at the very end of actually episode six. And even then, I don't still don't think they're explained that greatly. Mm. So anyway, let's uh, try and get through this. Yeah. So, but back in um, in the TVA, um, mm-hmm. Sylvie um, prunes herself. Um, in order to go after Loki, um, I did. And this is another thing I didn't know how she knew that she'd end up in the void. She um, doesn't. She... I think I, I personally think she just takes a chance on this one. She thinks, mm, if I if I prune myself, you know, and I disappear out of existence, who's really going to miss me? Because my family are not there anymore. Yeah, that's but fair also enough. like yeah. if she does if she does go to somewhere else, then she has she has a chance of potentially meeting up with our Loki again. Yeah. And that is, yeah, that is what happens. And Yeah. Um, I do think it's mostly trying to call the bluff of Ravona more than anything. Mm. So what, what did you think of um, Ravona in this episode? Still thought... a very, I have still a very underdeveloped character for me. Yeah. I think that they've sort of yeah, they've sort of rushed through a lot of the the explanation about where she's got to. You have that one moment, obviously, where it shows her meeting up with Sylvie a couple of episodes back. But I did say, like, very very early on, I because of the name that was associated with the, with the actress that plays her, 
it was very obvious that she was going to be a main villain in this. Yeah. But like you say, I agree. I think she's underdeveloped. Mm. Um, Do you think that it's possible that they're sort of waiting for... uh, I think you probably know that there's a season two of this, don't you? Yeah. So I think they're waiting for a season two of this. And I think it was very apparent sort of early on that they were going to get commissioned for a season two. So it's possible it could have been that. Hmm. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to sort of say that that's an excuse because I I think if you've got a story to tell tell it don't wait don't hold some things off of the potential of an idea for a se- season 2. Yeah. And so. it, it I suppose it was it was kind of cool how um, B15 points out to her that even though her and Sylvie uh trying to uncover the same truths after Ravona discovers that the TVA are these a fake mm-hmm. um, but Sylvia is willing to go that extra mile to uncover those truths because she yeah she um, prunes herself yeah. um, which isn't something that she's um, Ravona's not willing to give up her wilder power um, mm-hmm. in order to chase the truth Um so I thought that was good. There's a yeah, there's a couple of concepts in there, a couple of ideas there that I think work do work well, but overall not overly. Yeah. In that respect, like like we said, I think Ravona is a very underdeveloped character for what she really was. Hmm. So back in the void, um, both of the survive, um, surviving Loki's hatch a plan, um. Mm-hmm with Sylvie believing that she can enchant the Eliath, um yep. who, who is acting as this guard dog between the void and whatever and the end of time where the yeah. timekeepers are. Sorry, can I take it back slightly? Because I yep. have, I, I think this is probably my biggest criticism of the entire episode. And I know, okay, Remember, we've said this once before, we said this at the very, very beginning of when we started our journey, with, especially with like episode 0, episode 1, suspension of disbelief. There is some moments that you have to suspend disbelief. I cannot suspend my disbelief when Mobius manages to find Sylvie in the middle of a void that is incredibly huge out of nowhere. Yeah. That just took the cake for me. It was too much. It was like, come on. It's like you knew she was going to get there. Yeah, and it also and so- chimes back to the thing we were speaking about earlier in that um, why is everyone here a Loki? And like, you're, you, I know you said you're clutching at straws by saying that there is mischievous and he's the only one that's been able to survive in this environment. But- but how's but then, Mobius been able to survive? Yeah, then? exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I know. I, I knew that was coming. I knew it was coming. But it's just for me. Yeah, it's, it's another one of these. They don't really explain it very well, and it's a disappointment, really, because there's some good ideas that are just that are let down by a lack of a lack of actual thought about them or development. Let's say. Mm. Anyway, should we move on? Because I I just wanted to bring that point up personally. Yeah. So. Um, at the end of the episode uh, basically they're attempting to, well our Loki is creating a distraction while Sylvie is attempting to um, enchant the Eliath mm-hmm. and 
it looks as if she's going to fail but then right at the last minute um classic loki who specializes in his illusion magic he creates this massive image of asgard um which is too tempting for the Eliath, who is then distracted and that is how the episode ends with um yeah. sylvie being able to enchant it and the clouds open and there we see the citadel of um the timekeepers yeah so this is essentially the the palace at the end of time where obviously like you said the timekeepers have made their home to keep an eye on the sacred timeline but they've used Eliath as a guard dog to basically avoid anyone even getting there yeah so i think that i think that's why everyone gets destroyed because they don't want them to discover the secret so but it's still not explained very well yeah i I don't know it's just kind of Um, silly if i'm honest but also like um we have yeah we have seen sylvie using this power before obviously but nothing to this kind of scale yeah and obviously we've never seen loki enchanting anyone before but somehow the power of them two together yes we have seen this already obviously with the fact that you know they caused the cap like this massive event obviously when they're sitting on the planet and that's about to to crumble in episode three and they created these crazy branching timelines that eventually led to them getting discovered but how is it that sylvia is able to essentially transfer power over to loki uh, and someone who's never used this power before and then get major success because this 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 beast has destroyed everything in its path so far but yet Sylvia's never once uh, enchanted something of this size or this power or an entity that was created by essentially a god another god one more powerful than basically anything else they would have seen at this present moment but yet how are they able to combine together to make to make this happen do you want to know why story yeah <laughs> it's stupid um I've, just... before we move on to episode six there was three yep. th- things i wanted to ask about of course um, i guess they would have probably featured in the um trivia if there was significant uh, mm-hmm. but when um, there was a shot where they like panning over the hills in the void Mm-hmm. And there was a giant helmet, and to me it looked as if it might have been Ant-Man's helmet. Oh, it could have. It's possible it could have been a variant of any of the Avengers, and it could have been there for uh, reasons that I'm not quite sure. Uh, let me just go back and actually have a look at this episode because I'm sure there is some kind of trivia for it, but I didn't want to include it because it was potentially spoilerific. I don't know why. Um. No, it doesn't appear so. There's. Yeah, I think it would have been. It was probably just a generic helmet. Hmm. Um. The the car that um Mo- Mobius is driving in. Um. Yeah. With the pizza on it, I thought I'd seen that somewhere before. I'm sure I had as well. It's another one of those situations where I'm just looking through here and I can't see any reference of it whatsoever on the um, on the trivia itself. So it's possible it could have been um, 
oh, it could have been something else. I have no idea. Oh, actually, here we go. So several Marvel Easter eggs can be spotted around the void, including Yellow Jacket's head, Thanos Copter, Frog, TVA food trays, the Dark Aster, a helicarrier, a statue head of the Living Tribunal, and That's Kang's probably Citadel. That latter one is the last. Yeah, the... so it's the statue head of the Living Tribunal. Yeah. So yeah, I knew that. I, I I remember seeing it somewhere. I couldn't remember where, but yeah, it's def it's there for sure. But um, yeah, I the the car doesn't ma- isn't mentioned though. Okay, uh, let's go on to episode six then. Excellent. So, right, going on to episode six, which is called For All Time Always. So, the cast list for this one is Tom Hiddleston as Loki, Sophia DiMartino as Sylvie, Owen Wilson as Mobius, Gugu Mbatha Roar as Ravona Renslayer, uh, Manu Masaku, it's the last time I have to pronounce that name, and it's been a been a struggle, I'm not going to lie, um, as Hunter B15, Sasha Lane as Hunter C20, Neil Elise as Hunter D90, and Jonathan Majors as He Who Remains. Uh, written by Michael Waldron and Eric Martin, and directed by Kate Heron. So I'll just go over the, these couple of pieces of trivia. Um, writer Eric Martin revealed that Loki and Sylvia were originally supposed to enter the Citadel at the end of time and fight a series of the greatest warriors across the timeline. They would have also been walking by a vast display display room full of time-displaced artefacts. These ideas were, due, were had to be scrapped due to time limitations because of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's quite unfortunate because I think that sounds like a good idea. Mm. Um, originally, He Who Remains was supposed to be an entirely separate character unrelated to Kang the Conqueror. However, the producers like Jonathan Majors so much that they cast him as Kang and rewrote who he who remains to be one of the characters' variants. Now, do you want to talk about uh, the fact that you messaged me in the week and said you got spoiled by this? Yeah, so with all the reveals that happened at, um, was it Comic-Con? Uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. Um, there was a, a news article I just saw about Clang, and it mentioned s- something around how he's returned from... Um, his last appearance in Loki. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember seeing that message from you saying, because I asked specifically which spoiler it was that you saw, and you went Kang, and I went, oh yeah, well, I I didn't even realise that that was so big of a thing. Because <laughs> being someone who's watched the vast majority outside of obviously seeing the TV series, uh, I knew obviously that they were doing a lot of reveals at San Diego Comic Con for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and. I guess we can talk about that in a future episode with the fact that five and uh, phases five and six got revealed, but there was a lot of reveals for potential characters that are going to be coming up in the, in the future. And like you said, Kang was like it's basically been revealed as like the main antagonist across this entire phase, the two right. couple of phases. Now, okay, All right, that's um, very interesting. So, so yeah, ni- nice of Marvel to go, yeah, for those who haven't watched it, screw you. We're going to spoil everything we've got so far. <laughs> Thanks for that. But hey. Um right, did you want to um did you want to get into what you thought about this particular episode? Yeah. So um I'd say this um this whole episode is more about Clank Kang, sorry, than um Loki and Sylvie. Um, yep. 
like he's the star of the show here but mm-hmm. I say star in a not in a positive way no he's um, the focus of, he's the focus of the story and the plot basically more than anything rather than actually being a good character yeah now I don't know if this is going to be controversial or not um, but I really really didn't like this character or rather the and how how he's portrayed like I don't even if that's exactly how he is in the comics I just found him extremely annoying to watch I'm, I'm going to say that it's you, been a long go on, go on Gary, and you just telling me now that he's going to be the main villain of um, this phase is very disappointing to me I'm not going to lie I was a bit disappointed with it as well so um, based on the fact that I haven't seen a lot of the interpretations from the comics of Kang the Conqueror um, I was solely looking at this as just a character within this show um, when I was originally watching it admittedly I watched it not long after we recorded the last episode and it might have been a bit late at night that I didn't realise it was Kang straight away so but the interpretation I'm I'm in 100% agreement with you he's more annoying than anything so this doesn't fill me with a lot of hope going forward essentially for his character with exception yeah. to the fact that he's a variant. So yeah. the this variant version could be the most annoying variant version. That is true. The other yeah. one the other ones could be the incredibly sinister, ridiculously overpowered and incredibly threatening version of Kang that we've seen throughout the comics. Mm. So we'll I'll wait and see on that one, but this this variant version of Kang is kind of terrible. Yeah, cause I don't know whether it was how it was written or it was the the acting performance. Um, so it's it's Jonathan Majors, isn't it? Yeah, that's but, right. Um, so um, recently, in I was listening to a the Modern Escapism podcast, and they were talking about um, an actor's performance in a, a film or TV show. I can't remember what it was now, but um, one of them used the phrase. Um, chewing, chewing scenery. scenery, yeah. And I remember yeah, going into it, the Discord and asking what that actually means because I had heard it before, but never really knew what it meant and whether it was mm-hmm. a positive or negative connotation. And it, it seems as if it could be both. Um, it's it's very much an interpretation on both angles, really. You can choose scenery in a really good way, but you can also choose scenery in a bad way. So. I think, and I'm I'm not 100% certain in terms of the actual definition of how they define chewing scenery, but that's sort of where it comes across where it's an actor giving it their all, whether positive or negative. So say um, Tommy Wiseau in, in The Room, he is proper chewing scenery, but the film is really bad. Mm. And you could say in much the same way of um, Hugo Weaving it within the Matrix trilogy or... Uh, Viva Vendetta he's pretty much chewing scenery in that as well yeah that, uh, the example that came to mind for me was the um, well there's many scenes in it but um, particularly the end of There Will Be Blood with um, Daniel Day Lewis I have seen it for a, quite a long time to be honest right well that that came to mind for me as, as okay. in a positive um, example of chewing the scenery mm. Um, yeah. But anyway, to bring it back to this, um, I thought 
Jonathan Majors was chewing the scenery in every scene he was in, um, but in mm-hmm. but it didn't work for me. I thought it was just came across as very annoying, and I didn't yeah. I didn't see why he had to act in that way all the time. It was like the yeah. Only, now the only thing I could say that could give this somewhat slight justification for how it is is that obviously like someone observing this sacred timeline or someone who has created this sacred timeline uh being set in isolation with the fact that obviously he originally started this with two other variants of himself and he's had to essentially kill them off means that he's all alone and probably has been all alone for billions of years yeah that, so yeah, that, that the be. the isolationism and the uh the recluseness and not having the ability to talk to any other person for that serious amount of time would probably send someone insane. I know I know for sure that if I don't speak to someone for two days, it makes me a bit mad. So, yeah, yeah imagine like millions of years. Yeah, that's Can't fair. imagine how, this, how unbelievable it would be to finally see someone out in front of you and you literally, every thought that you've had in your head for the last million years just literally all comes out at once. But yeah. obviously he's being threatened by these two variant Lokis, but he knows exactly who they are. He knows that they're probably the only two that are going to be able to kill him. That That's fair, but I'd also argue that's assuming that um, this alien has got the same psychology as a human being. Oh, yeah, of, of course, yeah. And that's, to, and that's to say that we're having to make that justification ourselves as the audience because, once again, it's not really explained very well. Um, yeah, that was my main point from this episode. And like, I, I, as I was making notes, uh, I've got one down here where I wrote, "Oh, oh, right, he's he's just jumped on the table." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no apparent reason. Uh, I see you've um, you're you're taking up the score of Marvel calls and taking notes whilst you're doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Uh, so. I've made some other notes as well, but we can uh, get into that. We'll, we'll go through those. So um, we'll start at kind of at the beginning of the episode because we sort of jumped all over the place, haven't we? So they originally start out by getting to the Citadel, didn't they? And they're they're making their way through this um, through this building that he's created. Yeah. So. Um, and yeah, because he, he doesn't turn up to begin with. Um, but it, the Kang does feature and reveals himself behind that door pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and all it really does is he then goes on to explain who he is, why he's there, the history of the TVA and the timekeepers. Mm-hmm. And like you just said, he explains about how there used to be um, two other versions of him of himself that he had to kill yeah. off. So, um, the, so you see, like this is obviously more the, more for the audience than anything. So, those statues that you see scattered throughout the TVA of the three people is actually the same the same person. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I, I think that was quite a good little thing to see, actually, because because I'd imagine if you go back to those previous episodes, now that you know what's happening, you would see that, but you don't see that straight away, obviously, because you're not expecting it. Yeah. Um, so something else. So because that that does take up quite a significant chunk of the episode of him just um, 
filling in Ec- both Sylvie and Loki and the audience of yeah there, it, a lot of this episode is an exposition dump yeah that's the uh, I couldn't remember what the correct term was but yeah that's that's right. Um, that's, that's right um, that's, it, it culminates with well throughout Sylvia's she doesn't believe what this guy is saying mm-hmm. um, Loki I did like how without him explicitly saying anything you could just tell by his facial expressions that he was thinking maybe there is some truth behind what he's saying here yeah um, and it culminates with um, once um, the uh, Kanki delivers what the next, what's going to happen next, and yeah. gives them like a, an offer to basically he offers take them o- the yeah to take yeah. over of the of the, t- the TVA. Yeah, they would essentially rule the TVA and keep. Uh, keep a watchful eye over the sacred timeline if they choose to kill him. Yeah. Um, or, or they could choose to ignore it all if they kill him as well. Yeah. So she, yeah, she thinks he's lying. Mm-hmm. And but and she goes to stab him, but Loki stops her, and then they have a bit of a fight, which. I knew this was coming. This is kind of... It's another one of those situations telegraphed so early on that the, the only way that this was going to lead was those two fighting. Yeah. I mean, they've not agreed on nearly everything throughout the show, so when it comes to the most important moment throughout the show, you just knew they were never going to agree on it. Yeah. I think it was... Yeah, it was kind of disappointing for it to mm. end in this way. Um, like I remember seeing a discussion on in the on Discord about it being a disappointing way to end the show. Um, mm-hmm. This was after I'd seen it, and yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. It, it, I don't think we needed to see another fight. It kind of just went into the stereotypical Marvel stuff that we've seen when it comes yeah. to finales. It would have yeah, been cool to, to just. Have- like even one division had a fight at the end of it, and that was a, yeah. quite a talky show. Um, mm-hmm. It would have been cool to resolve this situation in a way that it's not combat related. Yeah, it's another one of those situations where we come back to um, uh, the Doctor Strange episode, where I speak very highly of the ending of that particular film because it tried, to, it dared to do something different, yeah. and. This could have done. This could have dared to do something different, but it chose to go down the typical Marvel formula route and let's add some conflict, let's have a fight, let's have someone die, and let's end this quite abruptly. Yeah, the only- I, I, because I don't know about you, but I felt that the end was very sort of sharp. End it was a, just a hard stop. Oh, definitely. Basically. Yeah, it was. It was very weird, wasn't it? Yeah, with how it just went back to the TVA. And, and then done. Yeah, you got the, <laughs> the you saw the statue of Kang and yeah, it um, was just it it wasn't a good ending for me at all. No, so it I would it didn't explain like like Mobius he sees Loki and he's like he's not, he's not seen him before he doesn't know who he is. Yeah, um, it doesn't explain that really. You kind of put two and two together with what's happened 
in the in the citadel with um, like all these branching timelines happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was yeah. kind of a mix. Yeah, I agree. It was it was a very abrupt ending, but I also have to admit it did leave me intrigued for season two. Yeah, I think that's more of what it's done for is to leave the door open to a couple of good threads or. I say good. A couple of threads in there to uh, explore a little bit more within season two, but I feel like I've unnecessary. I wouldn't say unnecessarily. I feel like I have sort of took a bit bit more of a dump on this particular episode. So I will, sh- I will include a positive moment. So um, the visual of actually them sitting in the citadel with um, with Kang, and you see the branching timeline well the the timeline behind the sacred timeline that whole entire time and then when things start to go a bit weird they start to see the branches forming and i thought that was a really cool visual actually yeah yeah i agree so uh, i um, think that's uh, is that wrapping us up or have we got one more, um, a few more things last Sorry. point would be the kiss between loki and sylvie very much unnecessary, oh. unneeded, and ugh, still a bit weird to me. Yeah, it was weird given that they're both the same person, and I also yeah. think you could tell it was coming. Yeah, that's what I mean. It was it was telegraphed from quite early on as well. I mean, yeah. I think it was from episode two that you knew something was going to go on. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I think that wraps it up. And shall we just go over our thoughts on the series as a whole? Of course, yeah. If you wanna, uh, you wanna take it away first. Yeah, so I'd probably give this a uh, probably a two point five out of five overall. Okay. Um, I thought it it took if you imagine like a wave. I thought it started weak or average. Yep. Um. Then it improved in episodes. In episode three, I thought that was probably my favourite episode of the lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that had problems. And then I thought it four was kind of similar. It was okay. And then mm-hmm. I thought it really fell down for me on the multiple reasons in these last two episodes. Yeah, I think um, we've got over those enough, haven't we? Yeah, and I, ju- I don't know. I, ju- I thought going in, um, maybe it was from what I'd heard um, when it was being shown like at the time it was released um and also just because of what i've seen of loki in the previous films uh i don't know i I was expecting it to be more fun to watch Mm. like say how mischievous he is and i do like his character overall in when he's been in thor and the avengers um he's always been very entertaining and there were moments of that in here, but I was just expecting a, a lot more, like, mm. so not something like in terms of humour, more akin to like Guardians of the Galaxy with like just more humorous elements to it and more mischievousness. Mm. When really, to say is the god of mischief, was he really that mischievous other than what you, other than him doing a bit of betraying? Not particularly, like, and it's no. even mentioned by Sylvie that he's not particularly mischievous. Yeah, so yeah, pretty average. And okay. Yeah, again, it's not again. Like I know it's controversial, but yeah, I'd still say Captain 
Falcon. Oh, it's not Captain Falcon. Cap- I keep saying Captain, Captain Falcon. Falcon. <laughs> what, are you going to start showing me your moves? Falcon <laughs> um, <laughs> he... and the Winter Soldier is still oh. my favourite show of the three so far. Oh dear, and mm. you know that's going to annoy a lot of people. Mm. It already has, so we'll just keep reiterating it, shall we? Yeah, but overall <laughs> I think this phase is still pretty weak. Hmm. Uh, look, I'm not disagreeing with you about any of those points whatsoever. I think you've summed it up as about as well as I ever could. So, I'm uh, I'm on the same, completely same angle as you. So, it has a few moments that were mostly all right. Like a couple of episodes were much better than than others. But I'd say I'd say three out of the six episodes are quite weak by comparison to. Uh, Falcon of the Winter Soldiers like two episodes are mostly weak and three episodes are sort of average and one is half decent you know so I'd give this probably um, I can't even remember what I gave Falcon and the Winter Soldier to be honest but I would probably say this is about a two for me Um, this feels like a this feels rushed like this this entire concept could have either gone full hard sci-fi like with the whole angle of time and high high sci-fi concepts and stuff like that but they've decided to do their very typical uh, Marvel formula and I feel like the formula is starting to get a bit old, a bit tired and a bit dated at this point where a lot of things are had with quips, like they can't have a serious moment linger for more than a few moments without someone saying something stupid or doing something stupid to completely change the tone Um, and I still am really unsure about which which version of Loki Tom Hiddleston is even playing at times because he should be 2012 Loki, but he's playing him like Ragnarok Loki at times. And it's so strange. It's still so weird to me. It feels off completely. I, not, there's not to say that there aren't some good performances in there. I've spoke highly enough about him throughout throughout the show but Mobius uh, Owen Wilson as Mobius is great like for the most part but apart from the yada yada moment of obviously him finding Sylvie in the middle of the void that's a bit strange but I think he's interpreted very well Gugu and Bafarur is mostly okay but probably very underdeveloped and I think that's a script writing problem and a, and a treatment problem rather than an actual actress problem so I hope they pick this up for season two, like in a better way, because so far I'm not impressed as much as I should be. I think a lot of the reactions that we've seen on Twitter and uh, from people that we've spoken to personally about this are all raw impressions from people who've watched this as it was coming out at the time. I'm not sure how many of these have gone back to actually watch it again with fresh... um, knowing what's going to happen and see if they can spot problems because I don't think they want to. Mm. Well, so, yeah. yeah. Well, get well invite um any correspondence on our thoughts via Twitter and or just or send in us some feedback on Discord. Of course, yeah. Yep, we we fully appreciate and we fully expect people to get back to us. We've had a couple of, obviously, feedbacks from the discords we've been in, such as the Modern Escapism Discord, and I've had some personal comments from um, uh, my co-host over at Rapid Reviews Radio as well, who tends not to agree with what I said, but 
hey, we invite the criticism and we like to have an open dialogue. So, Kurt, do you want to let everyone know where they can find us on the social media so they can tear us a new one? Yep, um, it's at Neverwatchers. And if you want to send me feedback or follow me on Twitter, it's at Angry underscore Kurt. Okay. Um, the email for us is neverwatcherspodcast at gmail.com and you can uh, tweet me at PeteBeckett1 or you can come and find me on the Rapid Reviews UK Discord. I'm also in the Modern Escape and Discord as well, so if you, can, you want to hit me up on there, go ahead. So, what have we got next time? We have our first movie of this, uh, this phase. Yay. We have Black Widow. Right. Pause. Pause for a moment of uh, excitement there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, um, I'm open-minded. I don't okay. really know. I've heard various opinions on it, so I'm open-minded. Yeah. Okay. So just um, just for those obviously who uh, might have come in whilst we've been covering the series um, with the movies, uh, we go back to the regular format, which is Kurt has never watched them, but I have. So uh, just bear that in mind. So. What we we will check back with you next time, where we will obviously cover uh, Black Widow on on the next episode, which will be thirty seven. So, until then, hope you keep safe, stay well, and cool. And we'll see you then. Right. Goodbye. Bye.